you love being a part of this church? I just love being a part of this body of believers and uh, just the freedom I feel here. I always dreamt that and um, just feel like I can be myself. I feel like when I'm just singing, I'm all by myself in the presence of God, singing songs that uh, strangely I was just created to sing. Just they feel so right. I feel like this was what I was meant to believe and this is what I was meant to think and feel and say to someone. Not to Britney Spears, not to Justin Bieber, not to LeBron James, not to anybody that would have any fame or claim in the world, but the most famous one. God of all gods, King of kings, the precedent above all presidents. Uh, We're in a series, we went from luminescence for two weeks into uh, illuminate for the last two weeks. See what we did there, a little play on words. All have to do with light. And um, the verse that comes to my mind as I was sitting there, I was thinking of illumination from, I I believe it's Ephesians chapter one, I would like for you to quote me on that, but don't quote me on that. But I think it's one, and it's a little later in the chapter where he's talking to the Ephesians, and he says something to the effect of, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better and that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened or illuminated. Just that there's a spirit of wisdom and revelation that he said, I want you to know him better, but that only happens when the eyes of your heart are able to see and be illuminated to actually understand the words of God and appreciate the presence of God. John started last week with somewhat our theme verse and the chapter that we're looking at in Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, what we just sang. And I was... It's interesting when you put together messages, I don't know if you've ever done that before, maybe it's the same with presentations, you're starting from nothing and ex nihilo, you have to like create some presentation to give to people and monologue for 30 or 40 minutes. And I know some of you are like, I never want to do that in my whole life, and I'm glad God calls some people to do that. But I want you to know that's a terrifying thing for me. Every week, I'm like, here we are, I have a verse, and I have no idea what I'm going to say about that. And so the first thing I did this week is I did like this word picture. I thought, what comes to my mind when I just think about the word of God? And it was just word association. And ironically enough, a lot of times nothing comes to my mind, so I just drink more coffee, um, just like you do. But something came to my mind immediately, and it was my mom's Bible. And I have a picture of my mom's Bible. I remember it laying out on the table in 319 Tug Hill Road, and I would go and I would say, I don't know what's going on there, but obviously mom is getting excited about something. (laughs) I don't really know why you do that. I don't know why things are underlined and circled and pointing to the margins, but my mom, every page was highlighted and underlined and circled and, and arrows were pointing to things and sometimes it was capital letters with exclamation points. Sometimes it was just prayers. Lord, help me. Lord, make this real in my life. Lord, I want to be what this passage is saying. And this is 
what, when I am asked to do a funeral, one of the first things I ask at the funeral home of the family typically is, did they have a Bible? Isn't that interesting? Did they have a Bible? Because usually in that Bible, there are little pamphlets or leaflets or journal entries or things written in the margins that, that show you what your grandma or your mom or your dad or loved one loved about God's word. One author talked about his dad's relationship with the Bible in, in a poignant way as he remembered back upon his childhood. He, he said, and I quote, many a night I woke to the murmur of paper and knew my dad was up sitting in the kitchen with his frayed Bible. Oh, but he worked that book. He held to it like a rope ladder. I love that. Oh, he worked that book. Man, are we working this book? I mean, when I think about that picture of my mom's Bible, she worked this book. It wasn't like just open it up and hope for the best and close it. She worked it. She mined stuff out of it. She was a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly defining the word of truth. That's what Awana means. Approved workmen are not ashamed. So when you drop your kids off at the Baptist church on Wednesday night to Awana, that's it. Approved workmen are not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of of truth. And he worked that book. Like he, and he clung to it like a rope ladder. There are days where the Bible is kind of drab and dreary to me. I'll be honest with you. Boring and kind of lifeless. But there are times where I cling to it like my life depends on it. I don't, I don't know what else I would do without it. And when I even didn't understand it, read it much, or give a fly and rip about it, I knew from an early age that this was no ordinary book. This was no ordinary book. This book was treated with reverence and respect in my household, and my parents considered it holy. In fact, back in what my girls call the olden days, the Bible used to have on the front, do you remember what it used to have? The Holy Bible. This one actually has it right here in small letters, but it would have the Holy Bible. And maybe the one that you remember growing up is this next picture, which is um, that, <laughs> laying there uh, with dust on it where you could plant rows of carrots in it because it's collected so much dust. But the Holy Bible was embossed upon the cover in gold a lot of times in the olden days. Whether I read it or not as I grew up, I remember holding it in sacred regard. I knew it was no ordinary book, and I still know and feel that uh, with ever-increasing ardency as the years unfold in my life. The title of the message today, and it's nothing fancy and nothing novel, um, is The Authority of the Bible. Yes. Now, I didn't know whether to say the reliability of the Bible or the power of the Bible, or the inerrancy of the Bible, but I just thought the authority of the Bible came to my mind because I feel like that's what we're losing, is that this book is somehow just turning into another book of wise sayings. It's more than that. It has authority because it has an author, and the word author is in authority. And I hope the authority of the Bible is meaningful because it's getting us connected to the author, which is God. 
And the point isn't just to get to know the word of God, it's to read the word of God so you get to know the God of the word. Or all of a sudden the Bible becomes idolatry, you love the book but you don't know the author. The whole point of the word of God is to get to know the God of the word. And the reason why it has authority is because it has an author and that author is God. And that's why I stand sometimes before you with some fear and trepidation that even my interpretation or my homily today, is that going to be in alignment with the original intent of the authors that were superintended by God to write down these words whereby we collected 66 books of the canon that were the authority and inspiration of the inerrant word of God. And there were people in the Old Testament when they would give a prophecy, if they were wrong one time, they were struck dead. And sometimes we handle it so glibly, so flippantly, like who cares? We couldn't even throw this thing around, this book. We couldn't use it as a paperweight. This, this book was cherished even as a book of having honor. I sound like my dad. It might be new for some of you, old for others, but I think it's good for us to maybe lock into something that uh, is important in, I think, the church in 2018, and that's the fundamentals of our faith. Now, you might wonder what separates denominations and how do you know if they're progressive and liberal and how do you know if they're traditional or evangelical? You know a church is conservative or evangelical would be the word if they hold to the five tenets of the fundamentals of the faith. And some believe that there are seven, but I'm going to give you five, and here they are. First, we believe in the deity of Christ. Believe that Jesus was God. If you're ever a part of a church and they're like, eh, he wasn't God, he was a prophet, he was a good man, that's something, that's a hill you die on right? Another one was the virgin birth of Jesus. The reason this is very important is because he was born of a woman. That's why he's called the son of man, but he's called the son of God because he was born of God because what was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Ghost. And a lot of people are like, well, that that can't be true because that's miraculous. And so the Sadducees didn't believe in the miraculous. So the resurrection, the virgin birth, they were a little iffy on that kind of stuff. But we believe in the virgin birth. That's part of the creeds, part of the Apostles' Creed. Next one is the blood atonement of Christ. That might not make sense to you, but that means we believe when Christ died, his blood covered over our sins and made us righteous. The, the fourth one is the bodily resurrection of Christ. He didn't fall asleep. He wasn't knocked out for three days. He didn't pass out. He wasn't in a coma. He died and was buried for three days and he rose again. Actually, most of what we see in the New Testament didn't turn into movement until after the resurrection of Christ. In fact, his own half-brother James didn't believe Jesus was God until the resurrection. And that's when James converted And I don't know how you would have to convince your brother or sister that you are God, but probably raising from the dead might be like high on the litmus test, you know? I'm God, I'm God, sure you are, sure you are. Age 33, I died for three days, came back. Okay, you're God. 
And the fourth or fifth one is this, the inerrancy of scriptures. Really, this should be number one because everything else we know comes out of whether we believe the reliability and the authority and inerrancy of scriptures, that this book is the eternal, perfect word of God. And what it says goes and its wish is our command. We don't get to tamper with it. We don't get to toy around with it. We don't get to play around with it to accommodate what we wish it said. It says what it says and we do what it says. And in that sense, it is what it is. These things we believe as a church. Now there there are churches and even within John Wesley you know, and our faith is like you have Methodists and then you have Free Methodists, United Methodists, and Methodist Church split off in Pilgrim Holiness and Wesleyan Methodists and Wesleyans and all these split offs. You know what they were splitting off from? These things. Because all of a sudden a church started to decide this book is not authoritative. It has a lot of truth in it, but it's not all true. I mean, some of the stuff, come on, for crying out loud, it's just poetic. It, nobody got swallowed by a fish. The Red Sea really didn't split. There wasn't a worldwide flood. Come on, you can't take that stuff literally. I do. Amen. I believe what this book says happened, happened. Yes. And part of it is by faith. Just the kind of faith I have in God, I have the faith in this Bible, that even when I don't fully understand it, I still follow it. Even when I don't agree with it, I follow it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Second Timothy, in the inerrancy of scriptures, I remember I had to take orals at the end of my senior year and dress up and go before two highfalutin professors and like give somewhat a statement of my faith and defend apologetically what I believed before they released me to go spread it to the masses. And I remember reading about the authority of God's word, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I decided to take 15 too because Paul was writing to young Timothy, training him to be a pastor in the church of Ephesus. He said this to Timothy, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You've known these holy scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed or inspired or spirited by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the follower of God or the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The, the part of this passage that stood out to me for some reason when I read it is you have known the holy scriptures. Timothy worked this book. He knew the Holy Scriptures. And it makes me wonder how many of us know the Scriptures. Biblical literacy is kind of falling by the wayside, even among pastors, I hate to say it. Because I think we're becoming a world that's more into like personalities and, and uh, somebody that really is a great marketer or pulpiteer or speaker and becoming less concerned about the qualifications or the quality of someone's knowledge of this book. 
to know the scriptures. And I don't claim to know them. I mean, there's an ocean of knowledge. The magnitude of the infinite nature of what's in this book is almost like something that's overwhelming to me at times, but I have to keep pursuing the knowledge of this book. The word of God. So I thought of a little game that we could play together since you guys love interaction and love forced community. I call it forced fellowship. Um, And I want, I'm going to say a phrase and I want you to tell me whether this is in the Bible. And you're like, oh, you're trying to make us look stupid. Just a little bit. And I'm stupid too because I did these and I didn't even know what was in the Bible And I was like, I wonder if that phrase is in the Bible and I would check and it was or it wasn't. So I just started going down through my childhood of things like, one that came to my mind is cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm like, is that in the Bible? It's not, okay? So, but but there were all these things. I was thinking in the past, like I didn't know whether they were in the Bible or my mom just made them up. So I'm gonna start really easy. I'll, I'll hand you an easy one. We'll start out. Is this in the Bible, this first one? And we're going to have to go fast through this, guys. First one. Is that in the Bible? That's not in the Bible. Do you know where I am in my notes? Um, Is this in the Bible? Okay. John 3.16. This is, in fact, in the Bible. This one I heard a lot growing up. The next one. Is this in the Bible? Be sure your sins will find you out. Yes, it is in the Bible. Do not! Do not put that up there. That is in the Bible. (laughs) It's not working out. It'll work out better tomorrow. You're my guinea pigs. How about this one? Moderation in all things. How many say yes? How many say no? No, it's not in the Bible. But there is something about your moderation at hand, but it's very close, but not moderation in all things. This is Oscar Wilde who actually uh, came up with that. A fool and his money are soon parted. How many believe that's in the Bible? It's actually not in the Bible. Thomas Tusser is the one that came up with it. But it does say something like that in Proverbs. Right, right. Not in the Bible, that phrase. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do you think that's in the Bible? How many think that's in the Bible? How many are like, I don't think that's in the Bible? That's actually in the Bible. Jesus said that when it's the golden rule. God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? No, that's Benjamin Franklin. I wish I had more Benjamin Franklins, um, but I do not. How, How about this? I hope you'll put up with a little bit more of my foolishness. Is that in the Bible? This is my life verse. So yes, this is in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1. this is actually my life verse. I love that one. How about this one? Money is the root of all evil. How many think that's in the Bible? It's actually not in the Bible. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. If money was the root of all evil, you would never have to tithe. You're like, man, I wish that was in the Bible now. It's not. We are all children of God. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible in Galatians is for in Christ we are all children of God. This is a big one because I hear this all the time. We're all children of God. The Bible's clear. We're not all children of God. We're all created by God. We're all made in the image of God. But to become a child of God, you have to be in Christ. I don't know why that got up there, but um, is this one in the Bible? For I have a loathsome disease in my loins. 
Yes, it is. It's my second life verse. Psalm 38, <laughs> 7. And uh, yes, I love that one. Um, and it actually goes on and there's the, no soundness of my flesh. I love it. It's great. Um, how about this one? I'm not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. How many don't think that's in the Bible? That is in the Bible. I want to make a t-shirt of that one. That's a great one. Acts 2.15. That's the Acts 2 church right there. I love that. The eye is the window of the soul. How many are like, that's in the Bible? That is not in the Bible. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, how about this? The lion shall lay down with the lamb. How many believe that's in the Bible? No, that's not in the Bible. Nowhere is that in the Bible. I could not believe it. It actually is the wolf shall dwell with the lamb in Isaiah chapter 11. But they brought in that, that Jesus is the lion and the lamb, and it just sounds way better because they both start with L. That was started by the Baptists. Okay. I was Baptist. Everything's got to have alliteration, so. The wolf would lay down with the, I don't know. Anyway. All we are is dust in the wind. Is this in the Bible? Sort of, it is in Ecclesiastes, but it's not. We're, it's a chasing after the winter. We all dust, but this is a Kansas song. And then, this too shall pass. How many think this is in the Bible? This is not in the Bible. This is actually attributed to Persian Sufi poets. So it's very interesting. Some of these, this too shall pass, was used all the time. And I just thought, that's in the Bible. Not in the Bible, anywhere. Not that it won't pass, whatever you're going through. This phrase is not in the Bible. I discovered a passage this week that I had never seen before that talked about the power of God's word. And it was found in Psalm 38 too. And it may surprise you. And in some ways, I'm, I was like, I don't even know whether I believe it, but I'm just gonna share it with you because it says something is powerful. In Psalm 138 too, it says this, you have magnified your word above all your name. Just think about that. Like that your word is magnified above your name. We have phrases, your word is your bond or your word is your reputation. But it shows the power that if it's not in this Bible, this word has been established. This word is eternal. This word is enduring to all generations. And if the reputation was what a name was, wasn't connected to the word, or the word wasn't connected to the reputation, it was null and void. And God was trying to say his word is elevated or, or magnified even above his name. I don't know what you've heard about him, and I don't know what his reputation is to you, or what you think about him, but you go to his word, because his word will tell you who he is. Because who he is and what his name means might get diluted down through the ages, so you've got to get back to the Word. That's what's magnified above whatever his name may have turned into over the years. How bad do we need this in the church? Yes. That the name of God is a byword among the nations, or the name Christian doesn't mean anything, and you have to go back to the Word and say, here's what it was supposed to be. I don't know what it's turned into, but the word is magnified above the name because the name, the reputation, has to be connected to the origin. Our strategy as a church 
is creating churches where people belong to a loving community, become followers of Jesus, and then believe in his word. And there's a progression to that. You immediately become a part of the loving community. You kind of um, naturally become followers of Jesus, try out what his word is saying, what you maybe learn on a weekend, and then you believe in his word eventually. And I was thinking about that. I actually believe that the word of God, believing and trusting in the word of God is one of the last things that happen in the life of a believer. I think people come to know Christ, ask Christ to be their savior. Our Christians have been washed by the blood of the lamb and still may not trust, believe, know, or love God's word. I was thinking about it this way. When the Bible is believed and obeyed without conditions or stipulations, it's an actual tangible indication of a deep and deepening spiritual maturity in the life of a believer. To me, it's a telltale sign of spiritual growth like none other. When somebody has a deep and deepening understanding of the Scripture. Another way of putting it is spiritual formation and maturity is a movement, at least in my mind, from doubtful to distant, to dabbling, to dedicated, to devout. Like people begin with like, I'm doubtful, and then they have a distant relationship, and then they start to dabble in it, and then they become dedicated to it, and then they become devout followers of Jesus. I don't even use the term for a person that they're devout unless I know they read and love and obey God's word no matter the circumstances. That's being devout. The rest, you might be dabbling, have a distant relationship with it, somewhat, you know, dedicated to it. But to be devout is a person who devours this book. And no matter their situation, their feeling, their life circumstance, they go with this book no matter what. That's a devout believer. It's the lens they look through to view the world and it's the filter they use to interpret the world that's coming at them. Another way of saying it is the word will always define the world. The world doesn't define the word. That's how you know it has authority. And these devout people, these are not just people who've gone to Bible college and seminary, nor are they specially chosen by God to be able to enjoy and understand everything in the Bible. No. They are everyday people who have, over time, somewhere along the way, made up their mind that the Bible is the ultimate final authority of their lives, their marriages, their family, their church, their business. Whatever it says goes regardless of circumstance. It is the absolute truth. And devout disciples have committed, and I I wrote out six things, to following the Bible even when they don't understand it, to following the Bible even when they don't always feel like it, to following the Bible when they don't always agree with it, to following the Bible when they don't always know the outcome, to following the Bible when they don't always see the point, and to following the Bible when they don't always get a reward. It hit me that this is even a part of childhood when I would ask my parents, well, well, I don't understand why, or I don't feel like it, or I don't agree, or man, what's the point, or what's going to be the outcome, or am I going to get a reward for that? No, then why am I doing it? Because it's the right thing. That's what I remember hearing. 
Because right now, you don't see the world clearly, but you just got to trust us. You got to trust our words, our hearts. And in a sense, you get to a point where you're like, God, I have to trust your heart to believe in your word when I don't understand, like, agree, know, see, or get a reward for obeying you. That's devout. Does that make sense? I feel like we're in a world that the minute they don't understand it, it's like I don't have to follow it. If I don't agree with it, then I actually take the word and accommodate it for me. I heard something about parenting this week that I thought was perfect for this. We don't prepare um, a path for the child. We prepare the child for the path. It's like, oh, they're deciding to go that way? Well, then I'll prepare a path uniquely for them. No, you prepare your child for the path of reality. You don't prepare reality for your child's decisions that they happen to make. We're preparing for the path. This is the path. You can choose a path. If it isn't this path, this doesn't like become your path to accommodate you. I love what Vadi Beecham said, because this is a part of church culture, the Lord told me is no substitute for the Bible says. Amen. That's why biblical literacy, biblical engagement is so huge because you, without knowing it, can say, well, the Lord told me this and, and God's given me peace and I feel like God, whenever I, like, I feel like God and God's given me peace and I'm like, show me where. Show me where. Because God told me is no substitute for the Bible says. I'm not saying he won't speak to you, but he will never speak to you something that contradicts what he already said. This is the authority. Well, I just feel like God wants me to be happy. I don't care what you feel like. Because maybe he wants you to suffer right now. Because to suffer would to grow, be to grow. And to grow would actually help you. What if he wants that? Well, I don't feel like that's the way he is. Well, then you better read the way he is, not what you feel like he is. We decided this year to... We don't have time. No, because there's post-15 and the kids' zone um, has authority too in our church. <laughs> See what I did there? Just read. You got to read Psalm 119. I went through and I just, I just read it over and over. 176 verses, so it'll take you a while. But it's all about God's word, his ways, his precepts, his statutes, his testimonies, his laws, commands. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy could not speak enough about how much he loved God's word and what it meant for him. And I, I just had all the ones that were my favorites. But the last one, Psalm 176, if you can see it up there, the last of all the verses, he says this, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not fo- forgotten your commands. And I wanted to get this one out because it's the weirdest one for him to end with. And I thought, he was in love with God's word. He said, I'll follow your word to the end. I'll obey it even when I don't feel like it. All of the stuff that elevated the authority of God's word. But he said, I've strayed like a lost sheep at times. And I need you to seek me out. And you need to come and find me. Because I haven't forgotten your word. 
And there's some of you here that don't love this book, have found it boring, have tried, have given up, and I want to inspire or re-inspire you to give it another chance that the eyes of your heart might be opened up this time to the power inside of this book. It's electric. Amen. And it will electrocute you at times. But I want you to know, even if you've strayed like a lost sheep and you've lost your way, you need to say, God, seek your servant because I've not forgotten your commands. Some of you need to know if you've got a wayward child and you've planted the seeds inside of their heart and they're straying away and they've, they're a lost sheep, you just ask God, God, seek them out and all the seeds that we plant and help them not to forget what we have planted in their heart. Anybody need that here today? Pray that for your sons and your daughters. Because they haven't forgotten, even though it looks like they have. Seek them out. I was just wanting to quickly go down through all the metaphors and scriptures. To me, a picture is worth a thousand words. So all these symbols and stories that God talks about his word in so many word pictures. It's light in Psalm 119.05. Like, helps me see my way clear when I'm in confusion. It's said to be seed. And I was thinking it's like small, but it, it just keeps growing inside of us in Luke 8.11. It's a sword. It's, it's like our weapon against Satan's lies and our lies and the world's lies. It's a sword. And you can say, well, I'm not so much into the, you know, the word. Well, it's the word of God, so God's into it. Well, I'm more into Jesus. Well, Jesus was called the word in flesh that dwelt among us. Well, I'm into the spirit. Well, it's the sword of the spirit. Like, you can't go to any part of the Trinity or Godhead without finding yourself running smack dab into the bumper of the word of God at full speed. They all love it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not going to hang out with any one of them for a long time without them saying, I've elevated my word above my name. So if you're like, well, I think you're this, just go to the word. Go with that. Gold, it's mined out and incomparably valuable. <laughs> it's that, you gotta, in order to get gold, you have to dig. You got to work. You're like, well, I tried it for a couple days and it just didn't work. Well, just get out your pickaxe and try a little harder. Because once you find the gold in here, it's like a gold rush. You become an Oklahoma Sooner. They're out of the playoffs. Rain, it nourishes, replenishes, and washes us. It's called a mirror in James 1. It helps us to see who we are and could be. I love that it's a mirror and not a microscope. This isn't so you can see your wife better. Oh, look at that in her. No, it'll always show you who you are and it'll show you who you're meant to be. It's milk. It's the primary sustenance of our souls. It's the food our souls need to stay alive. It's a hammer. It busts apart the walls we hide behind in Jeremiah 23, 29, smashing rocks to pieces, it says. It's honey. It's a source of sweet pleasure and peace. You ever read the word and just felt like, man, I needed that today. 
man, that was so good. Honey was candy back in the day. It was the sweetest thing they knew. Before candy came out, honey was like candy. The word is like candy. It's an anchor. It's all that holds firm in the storms of life. It doesn't move and it's fire. It burns in us and restores a hot passion in our hearts. Jeremiah 29 is one of my favorite as a preacher where it says, your word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Amen. Like I always, every week, Lord, just lead me to a place where this starts to climax inside of me and I get into Saturday and I'm like, I can't wait to like explode. This is in my bones like a fire and I'm weary of holding it in. It's been since Thursday and I gotta get this out of me. And I can't hold it in. Get those guinea pig Saturday nighters here so I can try this out. And I don't know, but I love his word. I love this quote. One proof of the inspiration of the Bible is that it has withstood so much poor preaching. (laughs) If you need no other, like, apologetic argument of the enduring nature of God's word. So many people have butchered this book and it has survived all the worst preachers that have ever existed. I don't know if I did God's word any justice tonight with my delivery, but the amazing thing about God's word is it endures forever and it can't be extinguished in spite of my failure to do it justice. Try as I may to make it inspiring as is as inspiring as it is inspired. And I want you to know that as a church, we will cherish and relish this book. We will adhere to its statutes, precepts, laws, commands, ways, testimonies, and judgments as Psalm 19 interchangeably uh, described the text of the word. This book is fundamental and foundational to this body of believers and all other ground is sinking sand. I love the way Jeremiah talks of his commitment to God's ways and I join him in his declaration in Jeremiah 6.16 where he says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And so we're moving into a time where for the next 15 weeks we're going to read through the New Testament and in this book you're like well why don't we do our regular Bibles because this takes all the chapters and all the verses out of it and you read it according to how it was written and I remember we did this five six years ago and I never read it that way before and it was illuminated to me in a brand new way and I've read it my whole life and it's about five pages a day and we want to consume God's word and fall in love with this love letter that God gave us. And there's going to be times where you read it and you're like, I don't like that. I don't understand that. I don't agree with that. I didn't want to hear that. And God's going to say, I don't care. (laughs) That's what I wanted to say, and I said it. It is what it is. And then you get in community and you're like, I don't know what this means. And you will be fascinated in community because you're really only supposed to interpret God's word in community so that you don't misinterpret God's word and come up with your own cult. 
And if your group's coming up with a cult, we will find you and bring you to justice. <laughs> I'll send Ryan after you. The Ball Brothers will come after you. We're going to finish with a song, um, Shine On Us. Why don't you stand up? Just give somebody a hug around you and say, let's work this book. Let's work this book. <laughs>